All right, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. That's right. Colossians 2. As I was studying it this month, I have to say, I, all of a sudden it dawned on me, I thought, Paul, you are such a writer. In fact, in this letter, you are going to re- actually repeat the same message as you did in chapter 1, but you're going to say it in a little different way, but yet the message is still the same. And last month we, we discovered how, yes, Paul wrote to this church in Colossae, And he had never been there. He had never met these people. It's believed that one of his converts, Epaphos, started this little church in this little town. And it was, Paul was hearing great things about it. And Paul was very encouraged by it. But Paul also was hearing that there were false teachers just kind of in filtering in this small body. And Paul was so concerned about that. He has such a longing and a compassion that they, that they see that their salvation is critical and that, that they said yes to the gospel and that Epaphras did a great job and it's starting to come out of their lives that the Holy Spirit is really changing them. But yet Paul knows that if And that's why it's a message for all of us. If we don't continue, if we don't work at this, if we don't believe that we need to hold on to Jesus so tight, if we ever think that we know enough that we can slack, then we are in a dangerous position. And so Paul kind of talks about two steps. He reminds them of their salvation and who they are in Christ Jesus and what they once were and now what they are because of what Christ has done. And that never gets old. I don't think that that salvation message ever gets old. And when we're confronted with what we once were, I don't think that ever gets old. But then Paul now moves on and says, we got to continue this. Because if you do not continue, if you don't continue to work at this, if you don't keep your Bibles open, if you do not continue to listen to his instruction and his advice and his commands, and if you think that just because you have your salvation now, that's all well and good and it's all I need, he said, you know what? You're going to start believing these false teachers because they are so slick. And they're so deceptive, but yet they are so close to the truth that unless you are really grounded in God's word, you're going to start, you're going to start getting sucked up into that. And what was, what was the message that these false teachers were infiltrating into this church? And that was, you know, this whole idea of Jesus Oh, he's a wonderful man, did great things, but that whole idea of him being the son of God and the son of man, now that's a little far-fetched. There's no way he can be both. And, and again, if you are not grounded in Scripture and absolutely believe that and trust that, then because these are new people in Christ, and so they're not that seasoned. They haven't, they haven't known it 
that long. And it's just so easy when somebody who's maybe slick and polished and very charismatic and they come in and act like they have all the answers and who are you? You're just new at this. You have a tendency to just buy everything they're saying. And so the whole idea of the deity of Christ, which I said last month, that's the foundation. That's our foundation. That he is God, but he was willing to leave heaven to become human because we needed bloodshed so that the Father would accept that sacrifice so that his blood would cover our sins it was the way the Father set it up. And so he had to become a human being and then be able to die and shed that blood so that we could sing a song like Jesus paid it all. And so when you hear that there was a false teacher, teachers coming around trying to denounce that or minimize that. No, he is God. But aren't we thankful he was willing to become a man so that we could stand in confidence that our sins are washed away. So Paul says, I, I got to make sure you understand that you need to keep going. That's why you have to keep studying. You've got to keep working at this. You've got to keep him top priority. This is not something that, that is to can slack with. Otherwise, you're going to start buying every new fad or phase that's coming through. You're going to want to hear what they've got to say because you might like their version better because it might not be as convicting or challenging or it might just appeal to you more. But it's not the truth. So there's only one book, and I, that's why I hear you say it every time we meet, that you totally believe that this book is true, every word of it. So that was kind of the premise of last month. And so we move on tonight to Colossians 2, but look how it starts. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. You know, you, you first read that and you think, well, Paul, don't you think that poor Epaphras didn't do a good enough job? I mean, why do you feel sorry for these people? Or why are, why are you struggling for these people? And it's not that Epaphras hasn't done a good job. It's believed that Epaphras went, went to Rome to meet with Paul because he was a prisoner. And, of course, Paul couldn't come to this little church. So Epaphras, he was very concerned. So he met with Paul. And can you just hear him say, what should I do? How should I teach him? What should I Can you just see Paul say, give me my pencil? Get me my pencil. I've got a letter that I'm going to write to them. And he is writing this saying, yes, I'm struggling. When I hear that there's false teachers, but we've been warned about that. We've been warned that there will be false teachers. And that's why we need such a grounding. We need such a foundation in Jesus. We need to know that we have a book that's truth. And that's the antidote to deception. 
to falsehood. And that is truth. And we've got the book. We've just got to get ourselves motivated to believe it's the book we need to be in. So now, he said, I'm struggling. I'm struggling for you because if, if you don't catch that, you've got to keep growing in this. I'm, I'm also struggling for those in Laodicea. And they must be close by, but Laodicea, I mean, uh, the mere mention of that city just draws you to Revelation 3, the last of the seven letters where Laodicea was, it's like Jesus said to John, write this down, boy, does this church need this letter. I mean, it's a going place. I mean, it looks like it is, it's just got everything, it's everything put together. And, and what does Jesus say? You know, you think you're rich, but you are naked. You are poor. You think you've got it all together because from the outside looking in, it looks like, yeah, everything is going gun-ho. But then you know that verse as well as I do. Jesus says, but I stand at the door. I'm on the outside. What kind of church is this anyway? It just is such evidence that you can have a church. You can be the church. You can be a person calling yourself part of the church the family of God, and yet, from the outside, you've got everybody, you've got everybody buffaloed, but on the inside, because he can see the inside, he knows, you don't even know me. That's why he came down hard on those Pharisees. That's why he called them, you whitewashed tombs. You look so spin polished on the outside, but you're nothing but dead on the inside. So he says, yeah, I'm struggling about that because, you know, you got this church next door. Looks like it's a really big going place, but I'm standing on the outside. So he says, yeah, I'm struggling. Because, because if I was there, boy, you'd be hearing it. You'd be hearing that there's a step two. That yes, step one is important in your salvation, but he expects now your responsibility. Step one is his responsibility. He paid it all. Step two now is your and my responsibility. And a going relationship, a good, solid relationship is when both parties are working. So yes, Jesus did his part in, in step one, but to make this relationship continue in the way that he wants it to continue, then step two is our responsibility. Paul said, boy, if I was there, I'd be telling you that. And I'd also be stopping by Laodicea to tell them a few things too. I'm struggling with their heart condition. And then he goes on, verse two, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Very, two big important things. He says, I want them to be encouraged. So what's the opposite of being encouraged? It's discouraged. And the more I thought about discouraged, and I thought, because there are a few times this month, I've got to say that I fell into some discouragement. And, and I'm not embarrassed. Well, yeah, I'm embarrassed. I wish I could say that I just do everything right and I never have, you know, a temptation to fall to myself and feel sorry for myself and all this nonsense. But we do. 
Fortunately, I could see it, and also it was in this second chapter, which was no mistake, because Paul said, you know what, I want you encouraged, because discouraged, you are fair game for the devil. When you are in that mood of discouragement, oh, you start believing everything that the news says and what the world is happening. All of a sudden, everything starts looking dark, and you're just a crabby mess. You are so prey to your own self and you're feeling self-pity. And and then most of all, you've got that crack and that full armor of God where Satan just weasels in. So Paul said, I'm, I'm struggling because I want you to stay encouraged because I know how easy it is to get discouraged and then that is fair game for some of the worst behavior. We fall back to our own self. So he's got a purpose in saying those words. And then the the next one, he says, I want you to be encouraged, and I also want you to be united in love. He's talking to this church. He's writing this letter to this church because he's saying the unconditional love of Jesus is the only thing that will keep you united. Because we're all created differently. We all have differences of opinion, and they can get a little strong sometimes. And we think that we're right and everybody else is wrong or whatever. I mean, you know how it can go in, in gatherings and churches. And, and so it just happens. And he says, I want you united. And that happens because of the unconditional love. You're, you're together on the number one binding factor, and that is Yes, Jesus loves me. He loves you. So I want you to, even though we're different with different opinions, we can, as a body, be together because our prime common denominator is Jesus. So, I mean, in that one verse right there, it makes so much sense. And he says, I want you encouraged in art, and I want you united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. I noticed words in that sense like full. That they may have the full riches. What is, what is the full riches? What is the complete understanding? It's like, well, again, what I said about Laodicea. He's, he says, you know, from the outside, it looks like because you have everything, it looks like you're so rich. Everybody thinks, oh, this is a really rich place. He says, but you're, you're, you're poor. You're naked. You're nothing. Because I'm behind the door. And so when he says, I want you to have the full riches and the Full riches is when you have a solid relationship with your Savior and it's growing and it's maturing and you're learning more every day and you are watching yourself transform every day. A little bit less of self and a little bit more of his character. So he said, that's the goal. That you understand where, you, where your real full riches are where they come from. And also, that you may completely understand. That you may have complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, 
To me, I just put it in simple terms, Paul is saying, I don't want you to miss a thing. I don't want you to miss anything by, by you not studying or, or committing to this every day and having a, a hunger to know more and more. No, because then more of that mystery is discovered, more of the treasure, because he says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss knowing that no matter who you are, I mean, if you're highly educated, that's wonderful, but, but yet I still go back to that verse in James where it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, all you have to do is ask. We know of 12 disciples. We know of 12 disciples that were not real learned men. And yet, look at how the Lord took those 11 and then Matthias after Judas, and they brought the gospel to the world because they understood how rich they were in Christ Jesus. They understood that wisdom and knowledge and complete understanding comes from him because, according to James also, there's two different kinds of wisdom, and it's like, who are you listening to? Because wisdom can be, you know, the advice that you're getting from the world, and from people that you're listening to from this world, like politics or whatever, it's so easy to grasp onto their wisdom. I mean, there's a lot of intellectual, educated people, and we're going to get more into that in this chapter, where a lot of man-made knowledge, and he says, no, I, I want you to have complete understanding wisdom from the Holy Spirit because on the day that you were at Calvary, you were gifted with his spirit. And that Holy Spirit's job now is to continue to whisper truth in your ear, but you have to want to hear it. Because in the other ear, it is so loud and that's flesh and that's the world. and You have to decide which ear you want to listen wisdom and knowledge if you want it. Because there are times I have to say that I can start studying a lesson and I can even have tears coming down my face. I remember last year when we did Daniel, oh my goodness, that was hard for me. And there were times that I would sit there and I would just have tears running down my face and I thought to myself, you know what, I do not have complete understanding here. I do not have wisdom and knowledge here. And all of a sudden, I realized that the Lord isn't out to make fools out of us. All he wants us to do is ask him. And there were numerous times where it might have taken a while. But then when the realization, when, when the spark would happen, it was, it was it would see experiences I'll never forget. And I still have that. And I'm sure you do too. But uh, he wants us to know, Paul wants us to know that we have his, the very spirit of God inside of us. That if you want complete understanding and wisdom and knowledge, it's there for you. But you've got to do your part as well. 
And then he goes on to say, and the reason why I want that for you, verse 4, is I tell you this so that no one may deceive you. See, he knows if you are not rock solid and you're not based on your truth on this book, and if you don't think that you need to spend a time in this book, he knows, oh yeah, well look at his this. You may be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. Kind of just like we were talking about. He's saying you've got these false teachers come in and they sound so good and it's so close to the truth to what you thought was the truth. And, but oh, is that dangerous? Because if it's close to the truth, that means though it's not the truth, so that means it's wrong. In the way he says it, by fine-sounding arguments. Oh yeah, they're good at it. But I don't care how good they look on the outside. I don't care how charismatic they are with their words. A deceiver is still a deceiver. And if it's not the truth, it is not the truth. And this is why, because the word dece- uh, deceiver just kind of rubs me the wrong way. I don't like it when someone lies to me. And then to think that, you know, we were warned that that is not going to look like a lie, but if you do not know the truth, do you remember on one of Paul's journeys, he went to the church of Berea? And how this church would listen to Paul preach and love it. They loved it. But it said this church would go home after Paul's preaching and check everything out. Now, obviously, we know that Paul was straight and right on. But, but yet, you know, the idea of false teachers, if they're not teaching the truth, we've got to know the difference. And the only way we can know the difference is if we know his word because fine-sounding arguments. Verse 5, For though I am absent from you in the body, I think this is when he was writing with his pencil here, I think he really felt like, oh, I wish I could go there a minute. I wish I could just meet him and they could meet me. We could sit down and talk about this. But yet he's entrusting this letter and the Holy Spirit to be able to communicate. So he says, even though I can't be there in spirit. Look at he says, I am delighted though. I am delighted to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. You know, Paul, like Jesus, they always had a had a way of, after some hard instruction, <laughs> they would always come back with some encouragement. And he pretty much was saying, you know what, I, I, I really take delight in the fact that you're testing the waters. Maybe you're teetering. Maybe these false teachers have come in. I just want to catch you before you start buying into it. And so he said, I delight in the fact that how orderly you are and how how firm your faith in Christ is. And I think he's saying, and I want you to stay like that. I want you to stay. I want you to stay strong. Because look at how he continues. He, he says, now, so then just as you've received Christ, 
as Lord. Continue to live in him. The way it's, it's in our Bibles, it's like, okay, you got step number one. And, and your faith is strong and, and you're, you're being transformed and we can see the actions. Because remember last week, he, we, he even went on to say that I've heard about how you're living, how, how your, life, your life actions are proof of your heart condition. I mean, it was very encouraging. But, but here he's saying, I wanted to stay like that. So here's step two. This is what you've got to do. You've got to continue to live in him. This is something that needs to be continued, rooted, and built up. Those are strong words, built up in him. So he says, okay, I want you to catch these words. I need you to know that you have to continue. And you have to be rooted and you know what it takes to get roots deep? Remember in Luke when we studied the parable of the sower, and it's a very familiar parable, and you know, you, you see those four heart-conditioned soils and how easy it is to, you know, every time you hear God's word, you've got to check your, your heart soil because God's word is God's word. And, and my, I just being lazy about this, or, no, nah, I don't care, I know that passage, la, 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 I can think about my grocery list. I mean, this is God's word, and check your heart condition, because it, it would be so sad that a portion of scripture that you're, you're, you have the opportunity to hear, and you don't take it seriously. Remember what happened, it'll just lay there on the hard ground, and it doesn't do any good at all, birds come and eat it. So the whole point of coming to Bible study, then that day, if you weren't concentrating and really into it and wanting to learn, you're going to leave here, and it didn't do you a bit of good, and it, the birds just ate it. Or do you get all fired up in here and you think, oh boy, this is just what I needed for an hour and 15 minutes. I really needed this tonight. And you're all excited because, oh yeah, that was a good lesson. But you walk out of the door, and all the pressures of your life and all, you go back to, yeah, you got an hour and 15 minute break from it all, but you got to go back to it. And you don't, you don't take the message and you don't go over it again. You don't let it become a part of you. Then before you know it, you're right back where you started. You know, but we all know that forest soil, that's the soil we want so much to, to keep. Because when we hear God's word, we want to make sure our, whole, our heart soil so receives it because we know it's life-changing. And we also know that if we let that truth get deep-rooted, that when the storms come, when life changes, when we, we've got to deal with things that we hoped would never come, then we still stand strong because we're rooted, built up in him, strengthened, and we, we, can, we can stand up against life sometime because we know he's stronger. 
Because we, we hear God's Spirit remind us of what we learned when we came every week or when, when we open God's Word every day. The Spirit whispers in our ear. Remember, you know this. You learned this. And that's why I think the verse then continues and overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with thankfulness. You know, when you, when your heart soil allows God's word to take root in your heart and you start being built up and strengthened and you know that you are strong in him and you can stand against false teaching because you are sure of what he has taught you. There's something about he said you will overflow with thankfulness. I think that is an attitude change. It's like it's so easy to let everything overwhelm you and you get overcome and and there's the despair and the discouragement and but he says if you are rooted, if you take God's word and you let it take root in your life and you watch that make you strong. Just think that should be overflowing. You should be so thankful that you have at least had the opportunity, that your salvation is secure, that, that you've got a hope of a future, that you've got a Bible full of promises and encouragement. It's so easy to, to fall on the other side, isn't it? And he said, no, this is what will happen. If you are rooted and built up and strengthened, your attitude will be, oh, thank you, Lord, that you give me everything I need. Because I heard you say that to me. I heard you say when you lifted your Bible, it's the truth and it's all I need. Oh, and are you thankful today that your is your heart overflowing with thankfulness? Because boy, it could be the other way. If it wasn't for grace, if it wasn't for the fact that he was willing to touch us and make us all. If 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 it wasn't for him. Remember the song at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart. Yeah. It was there. It was there at the cross that I received my sight. And that's when life really begins. Aren't you thankful that that is something that you and I can have? Otherwise, without it, there would have been no hope for us. But instead, we can sing the truth of this, these songs. So even when life gets tough, when we are rooted in his word, when we, are, when we are built up through his word, when we are strengthened by his word, oh, yes, we should be overflowing with thankfulness. Verse 8, see to it. See to it. It's like, to me, I looked at that, and it was like a stop sign. It was like, okay, okay, Linnell, stop right here. Because of what you have just learned in the past seven verses, because that is what you know, and that is what is true. Okay, now see to it that then no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Paul is saying it's a lot easier for you to fall into deceptive philosophy than what you think. 
if you are rooted and if you are built up in his word and if you are strengthened by his word and you are willing to do what it takes. That's why he said, then see to it. Because if you don't think that that's important or necessary, then he uses words that are like hollow, deceptive philosophy. So what is that? You know, philosophy has a very simple definition, and that definition is the love of wisdom. Philosophy is the love of wisdom. And then as you learn and expound on that. But see, the fine line is, what kind of wisdom are you listening to? Where are you receiving your advice? Who, are, who is instructing you? Who are, who's telling you what next move to make? Who's helping you make an important decision? What kind of wisdom? Remember what Psalm said about the wisdom of God? It's more precious than silver. It is so valuable when you can hear him instruct you and command you and advise you. But the negative part, and I think this is where we've seen philosophy in colleges and all that just takes such a turn because instead of going to the Lord for your wisdom, for your complete understanding, for your knowledge, you go to all the advice that's going on around you. And to say that we're not gullible to that, we will, we'll get sucked up into that. Again, if we are not confident of what God's wisdom is telling us. And that's what he calls the other outside wisdom, hollow, deceptive philosophy. Philosophy that man has made up. They, they might have taken, and I think we even have to be careful sometimes of theologians and religious people. They'll take a portion of scripture and then this is what it, this is, this is man's, this is man's interpretation. And start to cause doubts. Did God really say, that sounds familiar to me. That's what the devil said to Eve. The reason why I know that is because I've had that happen to me. You know, I take the Bible for what it says. But there's some intellectuals, highly educated, they'll challenge me and they'll say, well, how do you know that that's what it means? How do you know that? that?" And then they stick their, their whole interpretation in it. I said, I'm not saying what it means. I'm just telling you what it says. But it's sometimes you can almost get too intellectual, too educated, too smart that you think that you can take God's word and just write your own. Because that's what it means. And pretty soon you've got everything according to man's way of wanting it to, to look like and sound like and be like. Be careful, he said. See to it that you do not fall to hollow, deceptive philosophy, that kind of wisdom, worldly wisdom, man's wisdom. 
which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. I think one of the best phrases that I've always come back with with raising our boys or whatever is, but the Bible says. I don't think that anybody can... I mean, my kids, you know, they rolled their eyes and I'm sure they didn't buy it all. But I knew in my own heart that when I would come with an answer with, but the Bible says. And I still do that. And I hope you do too, that you base, that you base your interpretation or your ways of looking at different issues that you can with confidence say, the Bible says. Paul is saying, I want to make sure that you are listening to the right wisdom, the right teaching, the right advice, the right commands. I don't want you, I don't want you depending on human tradition, the basic principles of the world. And really, what is the basic principle of the world? Me. Me, myself, and I. It's all about me. Take care of you. I got to take care of me because we're the center of the universe. You know, each and every one of us. That's the principle of the world. Let's see where I can get. Let's see what I can get. Let's see how far I can go. Let's see what I can attain. It's all about me. That's the basic principle of this world. And it's the opposite of Jesus' principle, because what did Jesus say? You want to be a follower of mine? You want to wear that label Christian? Well, then you must deny yourself. So it's just the opposite, and that's why you can't serve two masters. I mean, Jesus said that. You got to pick. You got to decide which way, who you're going to be listening to. Verse 9, for in Christ... For in Christ, that's why he says, you think the world wants to lie to you and say that it's got everything you need. But Paul is trying to say, don't buy that. Because for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ. What do you think is the key word? Fullness. If you have something full, that means you don't need anything else. He wants these people in this letter who are listening to this letter, but he's, he's saying that to you and I too, in case you've got sidetracked, in case you, you might not even realize that everything you need is in the deity of Christ. All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. When you accepted him at the cross, you were given all of him. He came into you, not half, not a foot at a time. He came. You have the fullness of Christ. And then Paul reminds, like he did last month, he reminds us, Last month he says, he wanted to make sure, do you realize who Christ is? He's supreme. He created all things. All things, invisible, visible, 
in heaven and on earth, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him. This month, he pretty much says the same thing, but in a little different way. He says, don't you realize he is the head over every power and authority? And he lives within you and I. And how nervous we get and how fearful we get. I know there's a lot of leaders and bad leaders and a lot of power that's going on in this world. And yet you read a verse like that. We have the fullness of Christ in us who is head, who has got every power. He's over every power, every authority. And then he kind of goes back and, and he kind of gives us a visual. He says it in a, he, he gives the gospel message of what we once were and what we now have. But he, he uses, he uses circumcision as a picture. He says, in him, in Jesus, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. And then he quickly says, not, not the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Circumcision, we know that's a cutting away. And he said, don't you, don't you see that this is the way you once were, but you come to the cross, he cuts away that old nature. He cuts away all the old yuck, all that, that lost part of you, that selfish, self-consumed part of you, and puts you on a whole different pathway, a whole different reason for living. And so then he goes on, and, he, and then he has another one. He says, having been buried with him in baptism... Now, we know that if you can visualize an adult or uh, an immersion, and we know that baptism in and of itself is, does not save us, but in this verse, it does give you a really beautiful mental picture. Because when he, when he says, having been buried with him in baptism, that means you go under every... Once you see the person, then you don't. It's like a, a bearing, you know? Buried in baptism. It's like you just went under with all of your old nature, all of the old you, all the sin, all that needs to be forgiven as far as the East is from the West. He said, picture that. You are going under with all that. And then, love this part, and raised up, raised up with him through your faith and the power of God who raised him from the dead. What can, what can change you and I that much? That we go down with all of our old nature and our old ways and we are raised up new life in Christ. 
It's no longer I that lives. It's Christ, the fullness of Christ that lives in me. Now, who in the world other than Jesus can do that kind of transformation in you and I? No one. That's why he said the very power, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead, it's that very same powerful power and the only kind of power that can change you and I that much. That is one good verse for you and I to picture. All of that is at our fingertips. And Paul says, I don't want you to ever forget that. I always want you to remember from where you once came. But how you went under, by faith you believed that he could change your life. And then he raised you up. And yes, he does just that. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. I mean, he paints a pretty ugly picture there, right? You were dead in sin. You were uncircumcised. Your sinful nature hasn't been cut away. So the old you and I, God made you alive with Christ. See, no one could change you like that other than him. You were dead in your old nature. You were lost. You were heading to hell. No hope. All you wanted to do was listen to the ways of the world. You wanted to get all your wisdom. You wanted to put all your eggs in, in this world's basket because you were going to achieve. You were going to be somebody. Paul says... How about letting that all go under? Because remember, Paul's the one that he, he knew he was all of that. I mean, he said, as far as following every letter of the law, I mean, he's, I was blameless. He said, but I count that. I count that knowledge. That was not complete understanding. But now that I've got complete understanding of what the gospel did for me, oh, I count that old life even though, oh, I was somebody. But that somebody went under. And what came out was new nature in Christ Jesus. He forgave us of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. When he said, having canceled the written code, it's so easy. It's kind of, again, it's like the Pharisees, you know, it's, they were more interested and they thought it was more important on what you did instead of who you were. That your religion was more prominent by the good works you did than by knowing you are you are who you are because you of what Jesus has done. And it's so dangerous that legalism, and I know we see it. In fact, in fact, I will never forget it. I'll never forget it. 
Tom and I have a couple of friends, and I, I might have told you this before, I'm sure I have, but it really came into flourishing when I was studying because I thought, I remember our friend saying that when she grew up that she was raised Catholic. I don't think she, I think she labels herself as a Catholic, but I don't think they really believe anything. And she told me one day that it all started when, as Catholics, she said, we could play on the playground on Sunday. And she said, so on Sunday afternoon, she said, I was playing on the playground and somebody came across the street and looked at me and said, you are a naughty girl. We don't do that on Sunday. It was a legalistic church member that was more concerned about action. And to this day, it just holds such, it's got such a hold on her. Now, I'm going to ask you, if this would have made a difference, if that person, that church person would have walked across the street and took our friend and sat her down and just befriended her and said, do I have a story for you? What about if, if that person talked to this little girl and said, do you know how much Jesus loves you? And what he did for you? Do you think that could have made a little bit different in the heart of this little girl rather than you are a naughty girl because we do not do this on Sunday? That poor, confused little kid. You think legalism isn't dangerous? And that's why Jesus said, I've canceled all that. I know the Old Testament is full of the Mosaic law, 700 some laws, and all of that they were to follow to get them looking toward when the real lamb would come and take away the sins of the world. But when Jesus came, he didn't destroy the law. I look at those Ten Commandments, even though it's part of, part of the Mosaic Law, and yet we are to abide by them. But those Ten Commandments, I don't care how good you follow them, they can't save you. They can show you your behavior. They can show you your sin, but they cannot save you. So what those Ten Commandments are doing is to show your, your sin so then you walk to the place. Walk to the person. The only person that can take away those sins. So it's not that the law is to be flushed away. It's just that we have to get it in its proper place. It's not. It is not by what we do. Our salvation is not based on what we do. It's by who we are. I dare say that because I know that we have a Holy Spirit on the day of our salvation that will then come and start step by step showing us what needs to be changed. But so many of us in our legalism, we make sure that that's what they hear first. 
I say love them to Jesus. Remember, to some of you who've been with me for so long, remember the story about that, that lady that came up to me and was so proud of herself because her daughter came back to church and brought her boyfriend and then they came for dinner and they were having such a great time. But then the boyfriend got up. I mean, this kid, he's not a believer, nothing. But he got up and he thanked he thanked them. He said, I had a wonderful morning. Thank you for inviting me to church. And he said, and thank you for this wonderful dinner. But my brother and I, we've got fishing plans this afternoon. And she says, I stood right up and said, we don't do that on Sunday here. She looked at me and she said, I did the right thing, right? And I'm telling you, I had no problem saying no. But see, when you're caught in legalism, I still say, Jesus, what did Jesus do? Before he started pointing and condemning them, he said, I didn't come into the world to condemn. I came to save it. He loved. I say, love him to Jesus. You let your light so shine before men that they want what you've got. Love him to Jesus. And then, Hand them over to the Holy Spirit, and he'll start correcting them. But our job is to just love them. And that's why he says, having canceled the written code with all its regulations, nailed it to the cross, because that's where real love started. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You know, Satan loves to use legalism in Christians or in so-called Christians. He loves to use that. But in this, in this passage right here, I'm thinking, you know, Satan for three days thought that he was big shot. He thought he won. He thought he had gained all the power and the authority, so there. And when Jesus died on that cross and when he rose from the dead, he disarmed their powers, Satan and his demons, and he made us public spectacle of them. When he came out of the grave, can you imagine what that did to Satan? Like, oh, thought I had him. Pretty embarrassing. And we say hallelujah. Therefore, do not let anyone, when Jesus came out of the grave, he, his power and authority disarmed Satan. Now, yes, he can still bug us. Yes, he can still try to maneuver us. He can still try to give us this down, discouraged feeling. All hope is gone. He's, he's only got as much power as what you and I let him. Because, because he's been disarmed, really, of all authority and power. So if we use the power that's within us, there's no way he can get us. That's why he's there for, because you know that now. You should be overflowing with thankfulness about that. 
Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. It wasn't the real thing. The whole Old Testament was a shadow of what was to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. In other words, they think that who they are and what they do, that Christ isn't the center of it all. I'm going to tell you a story. When I took voice lessons, and I took from a great guy, his name was Gordy Van Rye. He was known in Grand Rapids as being one of the greatest voice teachers. And he understood me. He knew that I wasn't trying to um, be a star or um, he knew that I, I wasn't going to be some opera or whatever. I said, all, all I need you to do is help me sing right so I can sing properly for Jesus. He understood that. And I had such a good rapport with him. Well, he just adored his wife. I can picture her in my mind. Sure, a little stocky thing. Cute, so cute. He just adored her. And one day he called me and said that his wife had passed away suddenly. And he, this is what he said. He says, now, Linnell, I have 80 students. I teach voice to 80 students. And 79 sing better than you. Now, I know that sounds terrible, but I knew where he was at. 79 sing better than you, but you're the one that I want to sing at my wife's funeral. Well, of course, I was honored to do so. And I remember the songs that I sang. I remember, and I, I knew that this church, that the funeral was going to be in, I knew that it was very liturgical, and it was, you know, it was very, I don't know how, I know, you know, it wasn't Catholic or anything, but the pastor wore his collar and his robes, and now I can remember what I wore, too. I can remember that I wore and I always do this. I wore a black dress. It was very respectful. It covered everything. I wore minimal jewelry. And I remember that when I heard my music start, I walked with confidence up to that stage. And I sang those songs because I believed what those songs said. And I knew that the meaning of those songs, because out of 80 students, I was the least good. But I know when you are not the best singer, I knew they were listening to the words. And I knew my voice teacher was listening to the words. And oh, I just loved it. It was an experience I'll never forget until afterwards. And I was in the fellowship hall with all the people, and I was talking to my voice teacher, and he was telling me about which lines that just really got to him. 
And right while we were conversing, here comes the pastor. And, and my voice teacher said, oh, I want to introduce you to my student. And of course, you know, he just wanted to acknowledge and introduce me. And the pastor said, oh, I know her. And then he turned and looked at me. And his finger went up, and he was real close to my face. And he said, and I want you to know, lady, that you will never sing in this church and come up on this platform without the proper attire ever again. I was just dumbfounded. He said, I did not have the right to come up on the, on the stage. And I'm thinking to myself, where were you when the curtain got ripped? And the access to Jesus and heaven was ours. And that the piece of clothing that every one of us should wear is the white robe of righteousness. Oh, I wish I had said that. But I thought, you know, I hadn't thought about that in years. And when I read this passage of scripture, that's exactly what Paul is saying. Beware that you don't get so legalistic and what you do. And I want you to always remember who you are in Christ Jesus. That keeps you in your proper place. Because to me, when I read this, all I can see is that pastor who is missing it all. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Because what is my prize? What is your prize? The prize isn't getting the privilege of standing on that platform. The privilege is when you and I see our Savior and he smiles at us and he calls us by name and he welcomes and says, look what I have promised you. That's the prize. Such a person, like this pastor, such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head Oh yeah, he's so connected with the with the body because he's bigger than everybody. He's better than everybody in that body. But Paul says he just he disconnected from the head, capital H. He disconnected from Jesus. Yes, lost connection with the head from whom the whole body is supported and held together by its ligaments and sin. Sinews, which is a medical term for how our body is put together, how ligaments are tied, bones are tied together, how it all proportions. I just had to look it up and see what that meant, but it's a miraculous medical term on how we've been created. He disconnected from the one who grows us. It's God wants us to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, you've been under. It's not about you anymore. Your old nature is gone. 
these are all. So he said, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? I think we all can understand that. Even though we've been set free in Christ, it's, it's not what we do, it's who we are in Christ. We still get caught in those traps about what people think. And it's what I do, because then they'll see, and then they'll know I'm a better Christian or, or whatever. And we can, get, we can fall into those legalistic thinking, or maybe on the opposite end of the spectrum, thinking that we're maybe a little better than someone else. And it's so easy for us to get bossy and say, oh, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Get a little bossy saying, oh, no, Christians can't do that. No, do not, do not, do not. God, is that loving people or Jesus? These are all destined to perish. These are all destined to perish with you. It's because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. See, he's saying that fine line. You've got to be still grounded in God's word that you know the difference because I'll tell you, they're tricky. They're sneaky. They're so close to the truth. And if you are not so connected to the Lord and listening to his Holy Spirit, and if you think you're so unworthy and they're so much more worthy, you're going to fall to that nonsense. You're going to fall to those false teachers. You're going to believe what they're saying. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship. Their false humility. Do you know what false humility is? False humility. The simple definition of false humility, and the Bible talks about it, dead against it. You know, it's people that go around, oh, such a worm as I. You know, everybody who thinks, they want everybody to think they're so humble. Let me tell you, if, if, if you've got to tell people how humble you are, you're not too humble. <laughs> it's kind of like if you've got to tell people how good you are, you must not be too good. False humility is pride. False humility is the opposite of humility. False humility, false humility is all about you. And the real true humility is all about him. Because you know what you would be, where you were without him. So he says, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, you naughty girl. You naughty girl. You shouldn't be doing this. Broke her little spirit. Did damage. But they lack. They come off so smug and holy. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence, which is all about them. I just want to close tonight 
by telling you self-imposed worship, self-imposed legalism rules. That's man reaching out to God thinking that they can, their good deeds will do it. But the real, what Paul is saying, real, true Christianity. And if you really want to be a real Christian, a real follower of Christ, then you picture God reaching with his unconditional love down to you. With his unconditional love, he reaches to you and I with undeserved favor called grace. And shows us the way to the cross, but then turns us around and says, all right, in view of what I've done for you, now what are you going to do? How about offering yourself back to me as a living sacrifice? I'll show you. If you stay connected to my word, if you stay rooted in my word, if you stay built up in my word, if you stay strengthened by my word, you believe my word. I'll show you a life. And no false teacher will ever be able to knock you silly. Heavenly Father, thank you for this. Again, very blunt. We needed two chapters to basically say the same thing, but show us who we are and how we got to where we are through the blood of a Savior, the only one that could put us under as the sinner we are, and then to raise us, sinners saved by grace. Father, I just pray that this connects and that it makes a difference, that it is rooted in our heart and that it will be life-transforming, this piece of truth, that we will give you the time daily, that we will make our Bible's priority because it is the only truth, best instruction, best encouragement, the answers. Father, I just give you this night, and again, we are privileged to have this opportunity. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.